Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University of Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Laura, Dr. Laura Spencer. Uh, we're going to be talking about online learning, her journey into education, and where does she see online learning uh, fitting into the educational uh, landscape moving forward. Uh, we've been, you know, on the Twitter sphere with some conversations, and uh, she was recommending, you know, because I put out a Twitter uh, tweet, right? I was like, Hey, if you're teaching online, I'm looking for some people to, to, to interview. And she came on and uh, she said, hey, I'm doing this. And, you know, I went to her website and uh, she has this cool graphic, by the way. I was like, oh, you see her face there in the middle and then these lines going out, giving education, what she does and all her thoughts. I said, oh, my gosh, that's fantastic. I said, I need that for my website. Uh, so I, I was like, wow. So I wanted to have her on, uh, to do, to have that conversation. I believe online learning is not only current, but is for sure the future of where we're headed. Uh, so for those who'll be listening on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher and Simplecast, will you please introduce yourself, Dr. Laura? So my name is Dr. Laura Spencer. I'm an educator out here in beautiful San Diego, California. I'm also a former Army veteran, so did a stint in the military before becoming a teacher. Taught middle school, high school, English language arts, actually taught in upstate New York before uh, teaching out here in San Diego, and then moved into ed tech and went into administration with that whole goal of how do we take what we're doing as educators and make it better, and how do we use the tools of the trade and what's out there to really elevate our game and, and be the best we can be for our students. So. That's been my journey. Um, I actually start a new position tomorrow as the Director of Instructional Technology Integration for um, virtual and flex learning charter schools out here. So very excited, very timely conversation that we're having today. Awesome, Director. So if you will be hiring in the future, keep me in mind. I will definitely uh, do that. I appreciate that. I'm trying to move into that online space. Uh, I'm always curious about how people find themselves where they are. What do you think that you would be doing when you were growing up and what drew you to the field of education? So when I was three, I thought I'd be a singing waitress. Um, apparently you have to actually have a voice to sing and I can't carry anything to save my life. So that, that career just didn't pan out for me. Um, you know, honestly, I think I was one of those ones who was always destined to become an educator. I, I kind of fought it for a while, but um, I just, I was always the one who was helping other people. And so even in the army, I was the one that they'd say, can you come and present this information to the team? So it just really became this, this calling to me of this is where I need to be um, and just drawn to that, that world. I didn't know it would necessarily be children but I just knew that I had something to give and that I was comfortable. And which is weird because I'm very introverted and I have high anxiety. And yet when you say, go out there and teach these people, it was just complete comfort. So that's kind of what drew me into that world. So how did you get started with 
teaching online. That's not the typical entry point for educators. And what shifts did you have to make in your pedagogical practice? So it's interesting. So I, like I said, I taught in New York and then I, I moved to California. And when I moved to California, I only had a couple of years to clear my credential. And so I was looking for kind of a, a quick program to get me through. And at the same time, I also was pregnant with my second daughter. So National University had an online master's program. So what got me into online learning was becoming an online learner. You know, I, I had um, I had a child, I had a baby, and so I was sitting, you know, at, at my desk holding a baby and, and taking classes online through, through National to clear my credential. And it really opened my eyes to this idea that um, why does education always have to be in these four walls from, you know, 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. Or, or whatever the, the time frame is, why can't we have a little bit more flexibility with that? So as I was in the program, it made me start to reflect on my own teaching practices of how can I somehow translate this to students? As a teacher, I was one of the first one-to-one -one programs in the nation. It was called Lemon Link out in Lemon Grove, and we had designed these tablet computers. We gave all of our students free internet at home. It was a Title I, Title I school. And so it was this idea of, okay, well, that's great that I have this technology, but then how am I going to use it to make education better, right? Because technology on its own is, is nothing unless we do something amazing with it. I can be a bad teacher online, just like you know, I can be a good teacher online. So I just started playing around with that idea of, if you're not in my classroom learning or, or, you know, we're not done learning or you want to learn more, like how is this going to extend out to you? So that's kind of where it started. So it was still a traditional school, you know, and, and kids were still in my classroom every day. You know, I have 55 minutes in, in English class to teach them everything they needed to know. But how could I, how could I extend that out? So just started playing around and, and there were no learning management systems really back then. You know, I had a front page, I created a web page and just started building out links to things and really trying to show kids that, um, you can learn whatever you want to learn. Like it's all out there. And I just became that facilitator to really connect them to that world. So that's, that's where it started. Um, you know, I've, I've taught for a few um, colleges. I taught one mm -hmm. for-profit university. I'll, I'll leave them nameless. Um, and really learned a lot of kind of what not to do with online mm -hmm. learning because um, you see a lot of kind of canned curriculum. And, you know, people just saying, okay, here's unit two, it's online and, and not really engaging in what the students need. So really just kind of working through a lot of those processes to figure out what it should, what it should be like now. Um, so having to make a lot of shifts. And I think the big shift I had to make was, how do you engage and connect with students that you're not in front of? You know, like, I, I mean, I see you right now and we're, we're building a, a connection and yet, you know, I'm supposed to really, um, create something and provide a service and you can't do that if you're just saying well here's unit one and make sure you do your discussion questions and turn in your assessment on friday so it really started to shift everything i was doing which also impacted my classroom because if you're making those shifts online you can't help but start to make those shifts in your classroom and realize you know the system's not working the way it is right now mm. so what are some of the critical steps that must be taking to move a school district or a school towards an online learning environment? And what are some of the challenges you have encountered with the work that you're doing? You know, I think the key is, um, you know, Nike says, just do it. But I think in this case, you can't just do it. Because what happens is I see a lot of schools and districts going out there and they're buying a learning management system and they're saying to teachers, you know, change what you're doing or, or modify your curriculum or, or go do this. It's not that simple. 
right? Everything you do in front of, of students in a traditional setting doesn't just translate over to online. And so what you see when you do that is you see teachers saying, okay, well, I guess um, I'll just like put all the notes of what I would have presented online, right? I'll take my PowerPoint, I'll add some stuff in the teacher notes, and then I'll still do the same things I was doing and it doesn't work that way. So when schools and districts are looking to make this step, I really think you have to spend time on the teachers first. And so really diving deep into like, why are we doing this? Because there's different reasons to go online. So what is our purpose here? Why, why do we need this online approach? Who are we educating? Because the people that are on the other side of the screen, that's the key. And you can't just have this universal approach. You really have to know who those players are on the other side so that you can, you can teach them what they need, how they need it, when they need it. And then you go into what? But a lot of people do it the other way. They buy a system and then they say, okay, so how are we going to put everything in the system? And they haven't really mapped out what is the purpose of this. You know, some of the, the students I teach online now struggle with getting online. Like that's, that's important to know. That means I can't say, okay, Tuesday at five o'clock, we're going to have a synchronous chat, right? I have to just worry about this is all going to be asynchronous because some of these students might have to be traveling to a Starbucks you know, in order to access their content. And what am I providing that they can do when they're not online, that this is not a 24 seven, you have to be connected to get it. That might not be the case for others. So really, I think, you know, you have to play out what those are and you have to really address your systems and structures because teaching is awesome, but if your systems don't support that work, it's all gonna fall apart. It's gonna be another passing fad, which we see. Oh, we're gonna do this. Oh, it didn't quite work out. Okay, toss it, what's next? So really, I think taking that, that step back and looking at those shifts in pedagogy, those shifts in approach before you go out there and just purchase something. The, and, and this is what I found interesting, either with my own school district or what I see happening in, let's say, the Mississippi Delta or some areas where they're provide, provide, trying to provide greater access to students. The online learning component can be anything from, you know, digital courseware platform like Edgenuity that has these fully uh, online courses available. Or as you mentioned earlier, school district can purchase an LMS uh, where the instruction will be teacher designed uh, and delivered. Uh, when teachers are at a point with that LMS and they're trying to figure out how do I do this thing? How should they go about selecting which outcomes should be addressed online? And what should be their process for selecting which tools to use? You know, right? Cause we're on Twitter and we see all kinds of tools just kind of pop, 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 popping on our timeline all the time. And a teacher, you know, may go, wow, this Seesaw is great. This Google is this and Microsoft this and this and, oh, Flipgrid is hot, you know. But <laughs> when they're looking at the objectives they should be covering versus the tool and how are they going to work together in this online environment, what should be their practice for getting that to work well together? So I think, you know, kind of going back to learning outcomes, there's, there's multiple learning outcomes. I mean, obviously there's the content standards, right? So what exactly are you trying to teach? You know, I'm trying to teach eighth grade algebra or I'm trying to teach whatever. So there's, there's that piece. 
But the other piece for me, the learning outcome, the more important learning outcome is more like the student as a human being outcome. You know, so, so what are you trying to accomplish in that arena? Because when we talk about um, like the World Economic Forum puts out all these skills that, that you know, future people need in their careers and such. And I look at those and it says stuff like, um, I think a new one was social influence and leadership and you know, collaboration and such. And so for me, when I look at teaching online, I'm also looking for how can I pull some of these pieces in? Because it's not just schools that are going online. A lot of businesses are also shifting. You're seeing more people either working from home or you know, they have offices in, in Beijing and, and in Ecuador and in San Francisco. And so there's, there's that blend. So the other piece for me in that outcome is, am I providing students with an opportunity to gain the skills that they might need right? It, it's not going to be in Google Classroom or in Flipgrid, but are they translating how they communicate and how they collaborate in this space? So that's, you know, kind of the two pieces of the outcomes is, is it not just can I deliver this curriculum online, but can I also really impact students' lives and help them become a more global citizen and understand how these tools will impact their future? And so then when you, when you think about that, um, you know, how do you select which tools to use? It's so hard because you want to jump on every bandwagon because everything looks cool on Twitter, right? You want to do the Flipgrid and the Google Classroom and, and the Microsoft and, oh, I got to pull in Adobe Spark and, oh my gosh, and then I saw this and I saw that. What's simple? Because part of it is it's cool, yes. But the other piece is if I'm not right there with the person on the other end, are they going to easily be able to access this? What barriers to learning will happen if they can't. If I started delivering everything on Flipgrid and I have um, students who are hearing impaired or I have students who are super paranoid about being in front of a camera, what barriers have I provided to their learning? So I just think with every tool that we select, and I'm not, you know, I love Flipgrid, so I'm not saying, you know, it's just, are we providing multiple opportunities? Are we making sure that this tool is appropriate for this student at this time? in this content, because that's the other thing is we throw things out there and we're kind of forcing them to fit. So um, I just think a lot of times we just have to step back and just really clear the clutter and say at the core, what do I need? So, you know, in the last class I taught, at the end my students had to do a presentation. This is online learning. They go, what, we have to do a presentation? Yes, you have to do a presentation. Um, how do we do it? You figure that out. I don't care what tool you use, what's comfortable for you. So I did have some students who just did like a, a Google slide or a PowerPoint and put their script in there and, and I could read through their script and that was fine. You know, that was their presentation. I had another put a camera in the back of the room and, and got up front and did the whole presentation. So I saw them moving around, right? But that's, I think part of the joy is there's so many tools out there that I shouldn't be the one always dictating them. You know, I'm gonna introduce them. I'm gonna say, hey, this week we're gonna do this thing on Flipgrid. You may like it, you may not. This week, we're going to do this thing on this. You may like it, you may not. And so that by the end, they're also making choices as to what's best for them. And we're really giving them that agency to do that, no matter if they're, you know, five or 35. There should be some agency in making choices on those tools. So the majority of teacher education programs aren't teaching teachers how to teach online. I find this honestly to be malpractice when we know how many schools have started to go one-to-one -one. and with that whether they're using google classroom or they have purchased schoology or canvas or moodle they have these learning management systems that they are supposed to be using to facilitate that type of instruction 
And we also know from the growth of higher education adopting online programs, even Boston University, they're rolling out a $24,000 MBA online. And this is, again, Boston University. This isn't uh, a school that people may kind of go, oh, that's just them, right? Mm -hmm. This is higher echelon research one university. So everyone, is, are, everyone has seen the potential of online learning and where it's going. As we are looking at this and living in this age of disruption, right? And, and so many industries have, like you mentioned earlier, have started to move online and we see all this rapid change. Where do you see teaching and learning going online and being and its impact on K through 12 education? So I see a few things. Um, I think they're kind of going back when you were first talking about, you know, kind of it being malpractice to not really, you know, address this approach. There's so many people in the teacher education program in, in higher ed who have been so disconnected from K-12 education for so long, right? That it's like, here's how I do it. And here's how it worked 30 years ago. And so, you know, I kind of keep going. So I think with as all of this starts to build and spiral, I think we're going to also see a shift in the whole teacher education program. You know, like Boston, you know, you said going with an MBA. I know USC, University of Southern California out here, I think even has like part of their doctorate now, or, you know, you could do online. So, yes, yeah, so these, these big universities are saying we can target and provide for more. And I think even just back in the days with the MOOC started really that shift of people just putting courses out there and saying, you could attend my astrophysics course for free. So, you know, there's, there's going to be that shift, but that impact on K-12. So I think of my daughter. My daughter's a senior in high school this year. And one of the problems is the only courses she can take are the courses that the teachers there can teach, mm. right? So she wants to be a, a biotech engineering major. I don't even understand what that is, right? But this is what she wants to be. There's nobody at her school that can teach her any of that work. So she's entering this field blind, right? She's done research, she kind of thinks she enjoys some of the classes, but that's it. So where does online learning disrupt K-12 education? It disrupts because my daughter can shop for the courses she needs where she can find them. I love this idea of being able to say, it doesn't matter if you're in a rural school where there's only five teachers or if you're in an urban school, you know, where there's 50 teachers or you're in a, a suburban rich area where you have, you know, these, these amazing teachers shop, find what you need and take those courses from wherever you can get them. And I think that's going to completely disrupt K-12 education. When a teacher realizes you mean these students don't have to sit in my calculus class, they can take a calculus class from a teacher in, Alabama or New York City or DC or maybe even I think we'll start to see businesses offering some of those K-12 like partnering you know I'm just picturing this world where students can say I, I am not connecting with your approach so therefore I'm not going to take this class in your classroom I'll take it somewhere else that's going to be a shift I think it's going to change everything teachers do to realize that um, you know we we no longer have customers just because they're in our attendance boundaries and that's the thing that schools have been built on for so long and it's provided such issues with equity is if you're in my neighborhood, you're at this school. 
whether it's a good school or a bad school, here's your school. And if you're lucky, maybe your parents will drive you to a charter school across town, right? And maybe, you know, and then you're dealing with lottery and did you even get in and all those types of things. But online learning is going to change all of that. doesn't matter. doesn't matter who you are, where you are. If you have internet access and you have a device, which is becoming very economical, we're not quite there yet, right? But we're getting there. Then who's to stop a kid from saying, I, I just don't need this right now and going somewhere else. And I think the other shift then is going to also be getting away from this content must be learned by this date in order for you to be considered successful. And we're starting to see that shift already in some schools. But if you have access to online learning and as a freshman, you're ready to take calculus, take calculus as a freshman. And if as a senior, you're still struggling with, with math 101, then take math 101 again as a senior or, or take it for a longer amount of time. And so I think we'll also break down those arbitrary deadlines that mean nothing. You know, that mm. if you don't learn it by Wednesday at 11.59 p.m., then, you know, you're not a great student and therefore your, your entire world has just shifted, right? Because you got your bad grades. And I think all of that's going to go out the door. Mm, I like it. I love all of that. <laughs> um, that, oh, that is so amazing. And, I, and that's one of the things when I talk about online learning and what I like about it is the access to learning outside of the confines of not only the four walls of the school, but within the confines of your local area. You know, so when I, uh, so I, I went to Capella for, for grad school. Now, when I'm in my cohort, in my doc program and I'm sitting there and I got people who are APs in New Orleans and superintendents in California and a dean of a junior college in, in North Carolina and so forth and so forth. So we're all in there learning together, talking about educational issues. Uh, we're using the research, we're applying it, but I'm looking at how, okay, well, how is, you know, Tanisha using this in her charter school in New Orleans. And I'm going, oh, oh, I never, oh, wow, that might work over here. I never thought about that. To get those different perspectives that normally in the face-to-face, when you're in a, in a program, you're talking about people who are dealing with local issues, but they're all in the same area. So you don't have those different perspectives. That was a very rewarding, enriching experience for me because I did get a broader perspective on how to solve problems from different, various ways, different people and various ways of looking at the research. And, and I think the same experience would be beneficial to our students when they can indeed be in classes with people from anywhere in the country or even around the world and have access right. to educators and experts in that same, in that same manner. When you look at people going online to teach, particularly if we have been taught good teaching, and I still hate this, uh, good teaching is I'm going to be in front of the board. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to talk, right? I may ask you a couple of questions. Then I'm going to give you um, some worksheets. I may put you uh, on this program for 15 minutes because we paid for it, so we got to get you mm -hmm. in. Uh, and then to say that we're doing creation, we're going to do a flip grid exit ticket, right? <laughs> so you can, so you can talk about how your kids 
talk about what they learned today or whatever. Right, right. When you're looking at that teacher teaching online and learning how to put all of these tools together, what was your process in learning instructional design, right? Because you have methods like Addy and, and, and whatever mm-hmm. on, on literally how to teach. But even some of those models are outdated simply because right. we're super connected now, mm-hmm. right? And so we need to go beyond video, video, PDF, PDF, video, PDF, discussion, right. whatever. So how do you think, well, what was your process in learning instructional design and how right. should that teacher go about truly learning that instruction. I know we talked about that earlier, but mm-hmm. when you're teaching online, as you know from experience and even as a student, it's a whole new ball game. So whether it's asynchronous or synchronous, to keep someone engaged, to have someone actually uh, completing competencies and, and do it in a way to where the completion rate is above, you know, oh, I, I have 30 kids and, you know, 15 completed my course with a passing grade. Or at the university level, okay. some of them is, is, you know, more ter- you know more horrific than that. Uh, so I guess what I'm trying to get at, I've asked, but okay. when, you're, when you're going to teach online, how do, you get, how do you get to that point of learning instructional design? How did you learn it and what do <laughs> right. you rec- and how do you recommend others who are thinking because this is a real career path for people now. They don't have right. to graduate right. and say, I'm going my only choice is in the school system, I mean, you right. know, a brick and mortar school system. So how mm-hmm. should they go about learning that instructional right. design piece? Man, I wish there was an easy answer. So how did I learn? Trial and error, right? Um I think what helped for me is that I was I exposed myself to multiple systems. You know, I I taught in a for-profit university. I also taught for a Cal State University, taught some online courses, you know. So when you see different systems, you also kind of grab stuff, you know, and you're like, oh, I I like this, I hated that, you know, and you kind of start building your own toolbox of what works and what doesn't work. The other piece for me is because, maybe because I'm in San Diego, we have access to a lot of, of people, is I was able to sit down with some instructional designers and talk to them about kind of the back end. And, and that's a huge, you go on LinkedIn, businesses everywhere right now are looking for instructional designers because they're all trying to design their own curriculum, you know, for their own training within their, their system. So there's a lot of those people out there. And so talking to them and asking them, what are the tools that you use? Because I might not actually be able to use those tools yet, you know, and you're using like Premiere Pro and you're building all these different systems with Adobe Capture and all this such. Like, I don't have that skill set. But if I know that that's out there, I can find those people to help me with, with my coursework, right? So I just spent a lot of time talking to people and trying to, trying to figure that out. Um, and then also during my courses, I'm really big on feedback, right? And so, you know, as, as students are working through things, I'm constantly asking them, how did that work for you? What did you like? What did you not like? You know, we did a Flipgrid. Did you like doing the Flipgrid? Do you want to keep doing that? Did you not like it? Why? And so, which is also empowering for them to know because, like I said, when I, when I first started, the curriculum was canned. You know, all I really did was like unlock the units every week and respond to their discussion questions and, and score their assignment at the end and kind of cheesy, you know, and, and I was like, I'm getting paid for this, <laughs> you know, but, 
And so as I've learned, I realized that that is what scares me about online learning is that, that canned curriculum approach, because I really think that flexibility is key, but how you learn it, the problem is right now, there is no real way out there. There are schools that offer degrees in this. You know, I've, I've taught a course for University of San Diego on instructional design and technology, but it's like one course. And I, I can't really say that after those three months with me that those students should be out there creating content. I don't know that I should really be creating content. And I think that's something that we have to think about. We, we don't have that tool out there yet. And we're, we're in the midst of this transformation. We have to figure out how to get there. But so for me, yeah, it was a lot of trial and error. It was feedback. It was using things like Addy and um, to build, but then also looking at Addy and then looking at the TPAC framework, which is, you know, the, the pedagogy, the content, the technology, and then also looking at the SAMR or SAMR, depending on what part of the country you're from, <laughs> and really then trying to figure out how all those pieces come together because what I did not want was here's your discussion question. Everybody kind of writes the same answer and then somebody responds to another student says, I agree. You know, so how do we really shift that process around? But um, yeah, long story short, I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything out there right now that really teaches it. I've been looking at some quality matters stuff. Uh, I know they're really big and get their kudos and respect from higher ed but they have now pushed into K through 12, but their certification is like, man, I need to go get me a part-time job to pay for that. Uh, <laughs> well, and our county office has a system too. They, they have like a leading edge certification program. And I, I know other people do as well. And you can kind of go through that course, but I just, I kind of go back to earlier, you know, a lot of these courses are also being led by people kind of in the system. You know, and if we're disrupting the system, I really struggle with who's leading the disruption. Mm. And are, are the people who are leading some of these courses the right people to be leading the disruption? You know, should we be kind of pushing outside those walls and finding others to do it? And so, you know, when you, when you see a, like on LinkedIn, oh, we're looking for an instructional designer, you know, I'm looking at what are they looking for? You know, what skill sets, what are they asking those people to do? and trying to figure out where does that fit in with, with K-12? You know, how can I take some of that into my courses and figure things out and, and who do I need to talk to? But, you know, if I've been teaching for 20 years and now I'm trying to tell you to change it, I don't know if I'm the right person, you know? So I'm just always questioning who's leading those courses and, and what do they bring to the table? Not to mm. say they're bad or they're good. I just question. I hear you. I hear you. So mm -hmm. what have been some of the successes you've witnessed and what do you like most about teaching online? I think the successes are when you have students from all over. The last course I taught, I had um, students in China, students in Spain. I actually had a student in San Diego, which was interesting to be in my backyard. And so when you see those, those global connections form and when the students in the class, whether again, whether they're students, whether they're children or adults, when they start asking each other questions and learning from each other, that's the success. And kind of what you were saying earlier is like, oh, how do you do that in New Orleans? Oh, maybe that'll work for me. But, you know, I, I just started watching these conversations bloom that weren't because I had asked a specific question. You know, they mm -hmm. truly were excited and wanted to know more. I've had classes in the past where I've actually had to kind of build, um, you know, I, I mean, like we used to call it like a parking lot, right? A side conversation. But I used to have to actually build 
an area for that because they got so excited about other things. Mm-hmm. I was like, you guys need to keep that conversation going, but for the sake of just orderliness in an online environment, right? I'm going to take it out of this space and kind of put you over here. But to me, those are the successes is when people make those connections. I think the other success right now and like in my new role is when you see students K-12 who are not successful in traditional education, find their voice and their passion and kind of get put back on the path to success, that's huge. My oldest daughter was not a traditional student. She left high school after her sophomore year and, and did a, a middle college. She was like blended. So she went to college and went to high school. And then some of her college courses she did online. And so because she was just kind of that painfully shy child, it gave her an opportunity to have her voice and to feel powerful in that moment because she got to choose, right? She got to say, okay, I've read it over a few times or I've recorded it a few times and now I feel comfortable sharing this, you know, out there with other people. And so those are the successes I've seen in kind of different avenues is just really seeing that voice and seeing those, those global connections. I think what I like most about teaching online kind of goes with that, that, that flexibility, obviously, right? You know, I could, I could sit in my pajamas and, and teach online who can complain about that. But um, more importantly, it's the fluidity of learning. When I'm teaching online, I feel more comfortable in really giving people the space and the time that they need and the tools that they need to learn. When you have 30 students staring at you and you're kind of stage on the stage at the front of the room, there's this pressure to keep going, you know, to just say, oh, okay, I know those five didn't get it, but I got to keep going or I got to keep the, the room moving. And, you know, I remember like principals would come in and if it was kind of quiet or a student was just sitting, they would say like, what are you doing? You know, you have to maximize every moment, you know, keep going, keep going. And yet with online learning, it's like, I'm taking a breath and every student is important to me and every, and every child's progress is important to me and I can cater it. And there's not 30 other students waiting on me while I'm working with one child, right? Like every single child gets the path they need because I can tailor it. And it's, and it's personal, it's just between me and you. Nobody else is, is in the room with us when I'm doing that for you. And so that's what I love. And I think that's, that's my, my favorite thing about online learning is really saying, you know what, for you, we're gonna do it this way. And for you, we're gonna do it this way. But in the end, we're all gonna learn and we're gonna get here together. Man, it's powerful. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Doc, for coming on. I have one more question left for you. Before we go, what is your call to action for those schools or school districts who, for whatever reason, are ready to begin their online learning journey? What do you say to them that they absolutely, starting out, must get right? What are your recommendations for them? So my call to action would be to know your why and know your who. So before you go out there and just purchase something, you better know why you're doing it and you better know who you're doing it for. In that sense, what I'm saying is don't just recreate the classroom, transform it. If you're going to go down this road, it should not be the same thing you're doing in the classroom. It needs to be something completely different. That, that equity of access, you know, really breaking down those barriers is key. And so uh, if you don't know your why or your how and who you're doing it for, don't do it. You know, just take a step back, take a breath, figure it out. Don't, don't jump in without that because it will fail. You know, if, if you go in there and you buy that canned curriculum because they promise you this is going to be what it is, I promise you it's going to fail. You know, if, if you haven't really outlined out, you know, some people call it like the profile of graduate or whatever it is, but you better know 
who who you're who you're doing this work for and why you're doing it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Laura Spencer, for coming on the show. Thank you, Dr. Will, for having me. It's a fun. You are welcome. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going up on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Simplecast. I need you to subscribe, follow, leave a review, leave your comments, share it, because your boys try and get Oprah on the show, and I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Laura Spencer, for coming on and dropping so many gems on this timely uh work that we're doing in this online space. I'll, again, I'd like to thank you, everyone, for checking out the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you. EDU, peace.